evening, I just want to take a quick moment as a church. When we get an opportunity to sing songs like this, I, I can't put into words what takes place in the human soul when as you're singing those songs, you know that in the depths of your beings, this is truth. My hope is that this weekend, as we look to God's word, as we sing these songs across all of our campuses, something inside us gets resurrected to realize that the, the words that we read, the songs that we sing, we're proclaiming truth, even when we don't necessarily believe it, even when we don't understand it, even though everything in our lives might tell us something different. How many of you know that the word of God trumps our feelings every single day of the week? Oh, praise the one who paid my debt in full. And he raised this life up from the dead. How many know there is a promise of life for the here and now and a promise for a life to come that Jesus Christ died to pay for your debt and to raise his life inside of us up from the dead. You can give someone a high five and just tell them something amazing. Tell them they look good. Tell them they smell good. Even if it's not even true, just tell them something. You could be seated. How many of you were here last weekend for our God Behind Bars weekend? That was such an amazing weekend. Um, so awesome to be able to sit back in a moment like that and realize that what we're a part of as a church is so much bigger than us. It's so much bigger than the room that you sit in on a weekend. It's so much bigger than the screen that you watch on. It's so much bigger than the room that you serve in, the room that you give in. What we're a part of building is much, much bigger than the four walls of the building you find yourself in. And the good thing about it all is that God says, I'm going to keep building my church. So that means we're just getting started. We're just getting started. Anybody excited about that? I'm excited this weekend. We're going to do something a little bit differently, but we have to keep a good tradition going. And so Red Rocks Church at all of our locations, can you help me welcome our men and our women at our God Behind Bars campuses? We love you. So blessed that we get to do life together with you. It's one of our greatest honors. Amazing. I want you to, you got your Bible with you this weekend? Anybody love their Bible? Whether it's an app or it's pages that you write on and cry on and read. Maybe for some of you, you haven't read it in a little while. I'm hoping um, that this weekend we, we get something fresh out of this book. Um, how many of you know when, when, you, when you fail to realize the significance of what you hear or what you read, it, it, it takes away the power that it can have in your own life? And so every time we look to God's word, we should have this hunger and this craving for truth because it is God's truth that's going to set us free to live the lives that we want to live. But the word of God is a little bit interesting. We have some terminology that we come to, that we read, that we talk about. And if we're not careful, the importance of the terminology that we that we talk about, it can fall on deaf ears or lose its significance. Not because the word of God is diminishing in its power or in its authority or in its truth over our lives, but when we fail to understand what this book is really, really saying, 
the power can't be manifest in our life. And one of the things that I feel like we, we, we lose sight of is we, we throw around the term gospel a lot. Some of you, you, you think about a, a type of Christian music genre, the gospel music. Others of you, your brain jumps to the first couple of books of the Bible in the New Testament, the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of John. You know, we, we look at these early books of the New Testament, we're like, that's the Gospel, which is true. But then the Bible also talks about the Gospel of God, the Gospel of Jesus, the Gospel of Grace. What is meant by this word gospel. It's not necessarily the first four books. It's not necessarily a, a type of terminology to throw around. What's meant by gospel, when you break down the actual words, it means good news. So when we read the, the Gospels and we read the New Testament, it is the good news about the life of Jesus. When we read uh, about the, the Gospel that is portrayed in the Old Testament, it is the foretelling of the fact that our, our world needs a Savior and there is one that is coming and his name is Jesus. Through the whole narrative of this book, it is a Gospel narrative. It is good news. But I got a question. If this news is so good, how come it's so hard to talk about sometimes? Have you ever felt that? Like in your depths of your heart, you're like, I know that Jesus has transformed my life. He's set me free. He's changed my narrative. He's changed everything about me. I, I'm in love with Jesus. But then when it comes to telling your friend about it, you're kind of like, yeah, let's, let's talk about something different. World of Warcraft something, you know, like uh, let's talk about the office. Let's talk about how mad we are that Friends is getting taken off Netflix. Let's, let's talk about anything other than the fact that, that this good news, for some reason, I can't tell it as good news. The good news has seemed to lose its goodness. Have you ever been there? Do you know what I'm talking about? Sometimes the good news, you're like, I talk more about coffee shops that I like than the one who has saved my soul. I want to talk this weekend about some things that as we read this book and as we hear stories told, we can lose some things in translation. And my hope is that as we kind of do a bit of a Bible study together this weekend, the good news feels really, really, really good to you again. Are you cool with that, Red Rocks Church? Let's pray, and then we're going to dive in. God, I pray that as we look to your word, you would illuminate some things in our hearts, in our minds. God, things that have not made sense to us before, would you speak through me as though you're speaking to this room, and would you illuminate the truth of your word? Let it be life to our bodies, and everybody at Red Rocks Church said, amen. amen. If you have your Bible, go to Mark 1 and the 14th verse, Mark chapter 1. And just to give a little bit of context, Jesus is starting his ministry, and we're about to read his very first public sermon. Now, with the good news, Jesus was sent by God to share, to live, to speak, and to fulfill the good news. You'd think 
when Jesus is about to start his ministry, I mean, he is going to come with the greatest debut sermon you have ever read in your entire life. People are going to be standing ovation. It's going to be absolutely amazing. But read with me Mark chapter 1, verse 14. It says, then Jesus came to Galilee, stop number one for his public ministry. He says, proclaiming the gospel of God, a.k.a. the good news of God. And here he goes. He says, and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. And then he says, repent and believe in the gospel. And then the Bible says that he took that message from city to city. I'm not going to say that I'm smarter than Jesus, but if I'm going to be Jesus's PR guy and I'm going to help make sure that people perceive his message as good, I'm going, Jesus, listen, okay, you're God, you're so smart, but, but you're, you're kind of like, like hook for everybody to, 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 to take dominion over, over the planet, to be the savior of the world, to share the good news. You're going to tell people, repent and believe in the gospel. And then you head out of the town. I'm going to lean over to Jesus and be like, Jesus, listen, as your PR manager, I'm going to write your, your, your speeches from now on. Because you're just, I mean, that, that one didn't seem to land. But the problem is, the Bible says that as Jesus began to preach this message, that thousands upon thousands of people came to hear this. And that to many people, multitudes of people, this was good news. Now, for most of us, we got some baggage when it comes to like the word repent. Most of the time we think about the guy that's standing outside of the concert venue yelling at us with a megaphone. You ever seen that guy? You ever, you ever been there where he's yelling and you're like, you don't need to use a megaphone. I'm right here. Like I hear you. And, and they got messages like turn or burn. God hates sinners. And so turn from your sin. And you're like, not necessarily moving. I don't know if you got a great success rate. The judgment of God is coming. The end is near. Repent. Doesn't seem to carry much weight. And for most of us, it's got some baggage to it. Yet this is Jesus's message. I wonder if this weekend we might be losing something in translation. I want to, this weekend is going to be a little bit different than most of our weekends. We're going to kind of just teach and talk, and we're going to look at terms and definitions. And I want to talk to you this weekend um, about one term in in particular, because how many of you know, hopefully this isn't new news, when the Bible was written, it wasn't written in English. People are like, yeah, I knew that, (laughs) English. Um, it wasn't made in America. The, the original language that the text is written in, in the Old Testament, it was the Hebrew language. In the New Testament, it was the Greek language. And sometimes there's a little bit of breakdown in translation because here's something interesting. The English language, if you open up the dictionary and count every word, which I challenge you to do so, or you can just Google it. The English language has 170,000 words. And the average American or English-speaking vocabulary has about 20,000 words that they use in their arsenal. For me, I was homeschooled, so I got about (laughs) 5,000. Here's this, 170,000. The Greek language has 5 million words. 
And if you look at the different types of words, the different variations of words, there's 70 million words at their disposal. So when you need to try to take a, a language and, and narrate and translate that many millions of words to 170,000 words, some things get lost in translation. So we're going to do, do, do a little bit here. I want to give you the word that Jesus used when he said, repent. When Jesus walked into Galilee and he declared to anyone who would listen, he said, repent. He was using the Greek word metanoia, metanoia, which literally means to have a change of mind. And so when Jesus is declaring this, he is declaring, change your minds. And just to clarify this, he's, he's literally saying, change the way that you think. And even deeper below that, he's saying, literally change the basis from where your thoughts are created from. Now, that's a little bit different than turn or burn. He's saying, listen, I want you to change the way that you think. And we're like, okay, that sounds a little bit like we could be doing some good news sort of stuff. But why would Jesus ask us to repent? Why, why do we need to change the very foundation from which our thoughts are created? What is Jesus getting after? Why does Jesus need us to, to think differently? And I love what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 7.21, because he, he communicates for us so clearly the reason why we need to change our minds and change our thinkings. He says this, and he starts off, I just picture him almost like, your grandpa would speak to you. He's like, I've discovered this principle of life. Kid, I've learned some things. And he says that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. Anybody been there? All right, like when I read that, I'm like, me too. Like I have great ambitions and desires to do the right thing, but somehow I always screw it up. And he says, I inevitably do what is wrong. He says, I love God's law with all my heart. I love it. He says, but there's another power within me that is at war within where? My mind. Interesting. He said, there's another power that is at war within my mind. And this power makes me. If you have your Bible, circle that. It makes me. A slave to the sin that is still within me. Have you ever felt like you're a slave to your own sin patterns? You can try all you want to try and you still can't break free. You can get accountability partners. You can download software on your computer. You can say, I'm never drinking again. You can say, I'm getting on a new diet and stuff's changing today. And next thing you know, you're going through the Dairy Queen drive through for a blizzard. Sometimes we feel like we're a slave to a pattern. Have you ever felt that? What's crazy is the Apostle Paul, who wrote a large portion of our New Testament in the Bible, he's saying, that's me. The things I want to do, I don't do. And there's something in me that makes me feel like I'm a slave to my sin. And he says, oh, what a miserable person I am. If you've ever been a slave to a sin pattern, you know nothing makes you feel worse. 
than your inability to escape a pattern that to you, you're like, I should be over this by now. What a miserable person I am. And then he asks the question, who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death, a.k.a. I can't. So who's going to free me? I'm miserable. I can't get free. And then he says this, thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And then he says, so you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. So the apostle Paul says, here's the problem. The problem is my mind. And the solution is Jesus. So the problem is my mind, and the solution is Jesus. This just sounds kind of like a, a phony Christianese sort of solution. You ever had the person that you're like, I'm, I'm under so much stress, and the person's like, you just need some Jesus. And you're like, you need to be punched in your nose. <laughs> Jesus, how's Jesus gonna help? I'm in debt, okay? I got a, a job that doesn't pay enough. I'm in a family that's broken. I, I, I feel stuck. And you're telling me I need Jesus? Paul says the problem is in my mind. But the solution is Jesus. It's interesting that Jesus comes onto the scene and he says you need to change the way that you think. You need to change the way that you think. Paul says, I'm a slave to the sin that is within me. I want to clarify another term for us. Because when we talk about the word sin, a lot of us have varying uh, terminology that we would use, varying responses that we would use, varying behaviors that we would use to classify and to translate this word sin into our context. But I want to give you a few definitions of what this word sin means when it's used here in the New Testament. It says sin is to miss the mark. Sin is to go astray and my favorite one, because I feel like it's so applicable to what we go through, it means to have no share in. To have no share in. I wonder, do you think about sin that way? Because the Bible says that Jesus comes and he goes, listen, I'm going to rid you of the power of sin, but you need to change your mind. Okay, I'll change my mind. And I change my mind about the fact that I have no share in something, Jesus, I don't understand. Can I tell you that every time you sin, the Bible says that you're making a conscious decision to not share in the life that God has planned for you. Think about it in the terms of this sin that you struggle with right now. Every time you sin, you're not just breaking a rule that God made up to make our lives miserable or to prove our love and adoration for him. He says, listen, every time you sin, I just want you to know that every time you sin, you make a conscious decision to have no share in the life that I have planned for you. Sin is your choice and my choice to not partake in the life that God has for us. What's interesting is this has been the narrative since the very beginning of time. 
When God made Adam and Eve, the first human beings, he placed them into a garden. God gave them everything that they needed for life. He gave them a secure and unshakable identity. He gave them provision. He gave them truth. And best of all, they had perfect communion with God. Things were perfect. And then something happened. The Bible says that the enemy came and he deceived them. He deceived Adam and Eve. And here's the deception that he gave to them. He came and he said, hey, listen, I know God said don't eat of that fruit, but that's crazy. If you do, nothing's going to happen, I promise. And if anything, you're going to be just like God if you eat that. Let me explain what is meant when it says that you will be just like God. It means all of the things that you freely and naturally and automatically get from a relationship with God, if you choose to do what you want to do, you can have all of those things. I promise. And the Bible says that they were deceived and then entered sin. An inability for man to partake of the life that God designed. Here's Adam and Eve, and the Bible says that, that they get sh shaken up and they try to pursue now new avenues, countless new avenues of trying to find fulfillment and satisfaction and do life and get right standing with God through their own plans, their own ideas, their own paths, and the Bible says that is sin. We were never meant to find fulfillment and satisfaction. We were never meant to find peace. We were never meant to find security and identity apart from Jesus Christ. And here is where the narrative began for human beings all over the world now pursuing countless avenues to find life. That, my friends, is sin. And Jesus says, you want to you defeat sin? Change your mind. Change your mind. Change the way that you think. Change the very basis for where your thoughts are created because here's what's happened. When Adam and Eve fell, the Bible says that they hid away from God. Anybody familiar with that? You screw up and you're like, God doesn't want anything to do with me. I gotta clean up my act before I come to God again. The Bible says this, and it's very interesting. In Colossians 1.21, it says this. Once you were alienated from God and you were enemies of God. Is that what it says? It says once you were alienated from God, you, you were on the outside, God wanted nothing to do with you, and it says and you were enemies of God in your mind. What, you mean that when I screwed up, I wasn't an enemy of God? Look what he says. You, you, you were an enemy of God in your mind because of your evil behavior, a.k.a. because of your sin, a.k.a. because you didn't partake in God's life. The Bible says in your mind, you perceived yourself as an enemy of God. But it's just in your mind. I wonder, would it change the way that you walk out this faith if you knew that out in the distance when you made a mistake there wasn't a God that was angry with you but there was a God that's going where are you at 
Like, let's, it's, let's do life together. Walk with me, work with me. I'm gonna show you grace in the middle of your struggle. When we're, when we're placed inside this tension of going, am I gonna do things God's way or am I gonna do things my way? Jesus says, hold up. I got a plan. I want to intervene in the tension of mankind that goes, I got an inability to pick which side I'm going to be on. Half the time I want to do what God says. And then the other time I actually do what I want to do. How do I free myself? And Jesus says, listen, the problem is sin. Every time somebody chooses to go their own way, they remove themselves from participating in my life. I'm going to fix it. And so in John three sixteen, the verse Tim Tebow wrote, the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever would believe in him should not perish because the wages of sin is death, should not perish, but not only that in this life, but they're going to have eternal life. Friends, it was the kindness of God to see man in his tug-of-war dilemma of wanting to do what is right, but finding in and of himself, I have an inability to actually live it out because of something that's wrong up here. And Jesus says, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to fix it. Friends, before Jesus died upon the cross, your sin kept you at a distance from God. That's why the apostle Paul says, once you were alienated. Once you were enemies of God, but now it's just in your mind because Jesus changed the narrative and Jesus changed the, the, the story for good. It was because of God's kindness that now he invites us into repentance. Look what the Bible says in Romans 2 verse 4. It says that it is the kindness of God what was so kind? What did God do that was so kind? He sent his one and only son to die on the cross. It was what he did, God's act of kindness that was meant to lead us to repentance. It was meant, what Jesus did on the cross was meant to change the very foundation from where we build our thoughts. True repentance is, I used to be an enemy of God because of my inability to behave properly. Now, because of Jesus, I have a friend in God. Jesus is saying, listen, I'm here to change the game. You used to think that because of your mistakes, because of your mess ups, because of your sin and inability to walk in the way in which I've asked you to walk, you thought that you were going to be held at arm's distance, ready for me to discipline you, ready for me to tell you you need to leave, ready for me to tell you you don't belong, but let me set the record straight. I'm sending my son to tell you something that is different, and all that you got to do is change the way that you view God. Because of what Jesus did, friends, no longer does our sin keep us at arm's distance from God. Jesus said, I want when God looks at you, I want him to see my perfection. I want him to see my perfection. I want him to see my righteousness. The Bible says that the account of righteousness of Jesus Christ was placed on us. Did you know that when you believe in Jesus Christ, when God the Father looks at you, all that he sees is the righteousness of his son. 
He said, when I die upon the cross, I'm going to take away sin's power. Can I tell you some good news? On Jesus's last and final breath with his exhale, he said, it's finished. And from that point on, the Bible says that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's good news. It's good news for somebody that's going to make a mistake. Probably this week, I'm going to screw up. I'm going to say something I shouldn't have. I'm going to respond in a way that isn't perfectly the way that God wanted me to. And he goes, I got that covered because I want you to participate in my life. So I'm going to remove every single distraction. This is good news. But Jesus says, you got to change the way that you think. You got to change the way that you think. The Bible in 1 John 2, 2 says that he himself, meaning Jesus, is the sacrifice that atones, means that, that makes right or that pays for our sins. Jesus was the payment for your sin. <laughs> That's really good news. <laughs> Jesus was the payment for your sin. And he says, not only your sin and my sin, our sin, but the sins of the entire world, Jesus paid for. This is such good news. That means that some of us that walk around feeling the burdens of our own sin, you allow sin to keep you at arm's distance from enjoying the benefits of life with God. The Bible says you're making yourself an enemy in your own mind. You have allowed the enemy to deceive you. Jesus paid for in full your sins. That would be like you having an insurmountable debt and a wealthy friend of yours coming up being like, hey, I don't want you to be under the burden of that debt. I know you're never gonna be able to pay that thing back. I got the resources. I'm gonna pay your debt off for you and I don't care what you say. I'm gonna pay it off for you. And you shrug your shoulders and kind of laugh it off and you're like, okay, cool. And he pays off your debt. You walk away. Your debt is still paid for. You've just dishonored the gift giver. And guess what? When you come up to the person that you owe the great debt, you're going to have such a weight and a burden in your heart because you feel, even though your debt is paid, you feel like you still owe him something. That's what Jesus is saying when he says, I want you to change the foundation from where you think. He says, I'm changing the narrative for all of history. You're going to feel in your heart that you need to make things right. You need to own your mistakes. You need to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You need to make things right. God, I got myself into this one. I'm going to get myself out of this one. And Jesus goes, no, I paid for your debt thousands of years ago. Your current sins that you're in now, your future sins I've paid for. I have removed the power from sin. I have shut off the power of death and it is finished. It is finished. I love what Acts 3.19 says. It says, repent then. But notice what he says. He says, repent and turn to God. When you're changing your mentality, I want you to change what you believe about God because you thought this God was an angry God that was mad at you when you made a mistake. But actually, when you think about that, you, you belittle the gift that he gave in his son. 
the one that made it right, he says, repent then and turn to God. Why? Because he's kind and his kindness was meant to move us towards repentance. And he says, so that your sins may be wiped out. And then this is the best news of all. So that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Does anybody need refreshing? Come on, more than ever, more than any other time in history, we are exhausted pursuing life, trying to make our own way straight. When Jesus goes, you're going to be exhausted. It's not going to work. If you want to find times of refreshing, he says, repent, change what you think and turn to God. Then what? No, no, no. Turn to God. And then what will follow is that your sins will be forgiven and wiped out and times of refreshing are going to come. I love this because this is the practical application that what Jesus did, true repentance, is that you used to be, you used to think that God was against you. Now he is for you. So now how do we apply practically the truth of this passage? Look what Romans chapter eight, verse five says. It says, for those who live according to the flesh, when the Bible talks about according to the flesh, it means the pursuit of man to have the life that God intended. Fulfillment, satisfaction, peace, pleasure, enjoyment, solid identity, hope, joy, like patience, like the, 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 the things that you're after. When it talks about the flesh, it means in your own ability, pursuing a life that God had in mind. When you live according to the flesh, watch this. He says, they set their minds on things of the flesh. They set their minds, meaning we choose what we set our minds to. He says, but those who live according to the spirit, that's what we want, that what God's spirit did is sufficient. We live through that. He says, they set their minds on things of the spirit. Verse six says, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. I don't know what you're after in life, but I promise you every pursuit in your life is a search for life, where you think life is found, and peace, where you think peace is found. And Jesus says, when you set your mind on the spirit, things of the spirit, what Jesus has accomplished, there is life and peace. He says, for from the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile towards God, aka one translation says, you have your back turned to God. It's interesting because in Acts it says, if you want to repent, turn to God. He says, your, your back is facing, facing him. You are hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot, aka you cannot do what you need to do. And it says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. If we can't please God in the flesh, look what he says that we got to do in Romans 12 too. He says, don't copy the behaviors and the customs of this world. Don't do what they say is going to give you life. Don't do what they say is going to give you peace. He says, but let God transform you into a new person. The Bible says when we come into Christ, we're a new creation. He says, here's how it's done. By the changing 
of the way that you think. Friends, our mind is so powerful. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. He says, listen, if you want to know the way of life and peace, don't look to the world. They got it all messed up, but look to me, look to Jesus and allow him to transform your mind by what you set your mind on this weekend. My hope is that as a church, we begin to set our mind. We change the way we think about this God that is in heaven, that he loves us, that he's for us, and that he has fully paid for every sin you have and will commit because he wants you to share in his life. Friends, this is good news. If this doesn't pump you up, if this doesn't make you happy, if this doesn't make you go, ah, you'll never find it. Friends, the message of Jesus is so good. Would you stand to your feet if you're able? Mark 1.15, where we began Jesus' plea with humanity. I hope we can see it through a better translation, see it through better lenses. He says, repent and believe in the gospel. Now we know that means think differently and believe the good news. I wonder today, if you've never believed in this good news, you've, you've placed yourself your whole life, you just feel like you've been striving and longing and chasing for, for identity and for purpose and for love, for security, for provision, for peace and hope and joy. The Bible promises that those are just fruits of doing life the way of the Spirit. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to pray for us this weekend. If you've never made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, the book of Romans says that if we can just confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if we believe in our heart that he was raised from the dead, meaning that he died on our behalf and was the complete and final payment for the power of sin in our life, he, he turned off the power to the sin that so easily rules you. It says if you can believe that, you can enter into God's forgiveness, not only for the sins of your past, but for the sins of your present and the best news of all for the sins of your future. He says, I'm going to remove the power that was in sin to keep you from enjoying the life I have given to you. If you've never done that, I want to give you an opportunity to. If you would, at all of our locations, would you be so bold to just lift up your hand if you've never made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, but you're going, man, I want life and I want peace. Can you lift up your hand? 
Jesus, I pray for every single person with their hand lifted high as a sign of surrender and a sign of faith. Would you intervene into their story? And Jesus, would you help them set their mind on the Spirit? The ways of the Spirit will produce life in their bodies. It will produce peace in their bodies. And Jesus, that's what we are after here this weekend. And that is the pursuit of our life. So God, I pray that you would intervene in their narrative. You would change their story. And that from this moment on, God, they would walk in peace and walk in life. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Red Rocks Church, can we celebrate everyone that's just prayed that prayer for the first time? I want to pray for one more group of people, and then we're going to worship the God that saved us. With every head bowed, God, I pray right now for every single person that has just mistranslated. It's been lost in translation. The good news of the gospel, God, my prayer is, would you make it so good? God, do it. My words cannot. And I pray that you would infiltrate people's hearts. You would penetrate even through the deepest and, and, and most thick walls of the human heart. God, people that have been opposition towards you, people that have held you at arm's distance. God, I pray they would see a God this weekend. They love them so much that he took away the power of their inability to enjoy the life that you've given. Jesus, you gave your, God, you gave your son Jesus for us to share in this life. God, today we set our mind on that truth and that that truth would define everything we do. Today, we change the way that we think. And we wholeheartedly believe the good news.